We've been uh, going through a sermon series looking at the letters of John. In the past couple weeks, as we've been looking at John's first letter, uh, we've seen John create uh, this character profile of a child of God. He describes uh, what it looks like to live as a child of God. And at the end of his passage last week, um, he got very specific. He talked about applying uh, a child of God's uh, desire to live righteously and not sinfully um, to our relationship with others. He ended it with this very brief statement about loving others. Well, this morning, he develops that a little bit further. He talks about how children of God should engage with other people. And as we hear the passage read this morning, I want to ask you two questions. First of all, if you could imagine your life had a pie chart to it, what percentage of that pie chart do you think God expects to be devoted to other people? Focusing on them, talking to them, serving them, loving them, what percentage does he expect? And the second question is, how did you feel just now when you came up with a number? Let's give ear to the reading of God's word. 1 John 3:11 through 24. For this is a message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. God, we thank you for another opportunity to hear from you in your word this morning. And we ask that you would send your Spirit to us to help us hear your words of love to help us believe that even though we have failed, even though we are unloving, even though we could be doing so much more, you don't look on us with disappointment, but you love us. You welcome us. You draw us in. Help us to see that and believe that and be changed by it this morning. 
I pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain. I pray this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen. In 1610, the famous explorer, Henry Hudson, and his ship, the Discovery, was locked in ice on the east coast of the United States, somewhere around New York, up a river. Now, this was the third time in four different voyages that Henry Hudson's ship had been locked in ice. He was trying to find a westward route to the Spice Islands of Asia so that the Europeans could begin a faster trade process with them. Third time in four trips, he'd been locked in ice, and he said something to his crew. He said, guys, I know this is hard, but once the ice melts, once winter is over, we're going to sail back to England. Everything's going to be okay. Well, that was the third time in four trips he had said that, and they knew what was going to happen. When the ice melted, when winter was over, they began to sail, but not back to England. They began to sail along the coast of America looking for this trade route, this secret uh, waterway between the Atlantic and the Pacific. And the crew had had enough. He had done this three times before, so they mutinied. They captured Hudson, they put him in a small boat, and they set him a sail adrift behind the Discovery as it sailed away. But Hudson wasn't alone. There were seven other people in the boat with him, including Hudson's own teenage son. Why did they put those seven men in the boat with Hudson? Because a mutiny is a perfect analogy for the natural outlook of our hearts. If you're not with me, if you're not with us, you're against us. John spends the first seven verses of this passage describing two ways to live. He says, we all start life like Cain, who is of the evil one, bent inward, selfish, concerned only with our own gain, and that causes us to, in, to engage with others and approach them like Cain did, looking for whatever they can give us, right? The people are just a utility. We approach them with jealousy and hatred and murder in our hearts. But, John says, the children of God, they've been born of God and have passed from death into life, as he says in verse 14, and that changes them. Changes the way that they approach others, not out of jealousy or utility or hatred or murder, but out of love. The children of God love others. What does that even look like? How does being a child of God change the way that we view and engage with other people? Well, John describes this lifestyle by playing off of the old way, the Cain way. He says, the children of God, they are selfless, not selfish, They're not self-righteous, but they are righteous, and they're covered, not condemned. Those are the three very difficult-to-say points that we're going to have this morning. Selfless, not selfish, not self-righteous, but righteous, and covered, not condemned. Let's start by looking at how John says the children of God should be selfless and not selfish. Often when we hear John's writings or we read John's writings, it's easy to see that he, he has some very deep thoughts. He's a very thoughtful man. He writes in, in general terms, often very lofty theological ideas, but here he gets very practical very quickly in describing how the child of God has been changed to engage with others. He says this, verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, 
but in deed and in truth. That's pretty practical. If you've been reading the passage, though, you might be saying at this point, wait a minute, aren't we talking about like life and death and stuff? Cain really killed his brother Abel, but John is saying, like, I just need to be more generous with my money. Like, I need to give the person I see on the street corner five bucks or write a check to the poor. What is happening here? See, John's argument engages both actions and heart. He says that your outward actions are a result of what's going on inside your heart. The way you engage other people, you treat others, is a symptom of how you view them. Cain only cared about himself and what would make his life better. And so when his brother's actions humiliated him, that selfishness inside manifested itself in hatred and in murder. John is trying to help us see all of us have that same selfishness inside, in our hearts. John's language here is all-encompassing. He uses uh, this Greek verb, the Greek term, excuse me, as faxon in verse 12 to describe murder, right? It's not just murder, but it's slaughter. It's butchering. He says that anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, just as Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He says that whoever does not love abides in death, whether you're a child of God or not, whether you would call yourself a Christian or not, we need to see that we all have this level of selfishness in our hearts. And John says, that selfishness will lead you to murder. Maybe not physical murder, but it will lead you to say something to cut someone, to know exactly how to hurt someone who has hurt you. That selfishness that will lead you to cut someone out of your life, to butcher them in some way. John is saying to his audience, everyone is born a child of evil, like Cain, selfish, and seeking only what's good for him. Uh, It reminds me of a story. uh, I'm never going to forget the day that I met Albert when I was in college. I had been hanging out with some friends uh, inside of the football stadium late at night, uh, throwing a frisbee, playing uh, music, singing songs, stuff like that. I was walking back to my car. It was maybe 1.30 or 2 in the morning. And this uh, older gentleman, maybe uh, 65, came walking up to myself and a friend of mine as we were walking back to my car. And he had his ID. He was holding a, a photo ID out. And he began to introduce himself. He said, my name is Albert. Uh, I'm living on the streets and I'm really hungry. Uh, I I was wondering if I could play the harmonica for you for a couple of bucks so I could get some food. And he began to tell a little bit of his life story. He grew up in New Orleans. He had learned to play harmonica from the greatest harmonica players of New Orleans. Uh, But Hurricane Katrina had come and destroyed the place that he was living and he had to evacuate. And he went to live with an aunt or an uncle that was living in southern Georgia. And when he arrived, he learned that that aunt or uncle had died years back and he had not heard about it. And the house that they lived in was sold, and so he had to be home. He was living on the street, and he had made his way down to Gainesville, Florida, and he was just looking for some food. And in my selfishness, as he was telling this incredibly painful story, I was thinking of ways to get out of this conversation. Right? My first thought was, I'm really tired. It's two in the morning. I just want to go home. My other thought was, I know if I give this guy some money, he's just going to go use it on alcohol or drugs, right? Didn't you grow up hearing that? Isn't that the caution that comes into your hearts when someone asks you for money? 
that was leading me to try and figure out a way to get out of this conversation, to just get back to what I wanted to do. I'm gonna tell you how that conversation ended and what God did in that, but for the moment, I want you to think about the ways in which people are coming to you in need and you are reacting selfishly, seeking your own needs, the ways that you can uh, brush them off, cut them out. We all have that. But, John says, the children of God, God has set his spirit in them. He has given them a new heart. He has changed and is changing their hearts. The children of God live selflessly, loving others, looking to the needs of others, not looking inward, but looking outward. And what does that look like? John says here, giving a brother or sister in need from the abundance of your worldly goods. Aha, you say, that's it. That's where the giving of the money and writing the check, got it, figured it out. I know exactly what John wants from me. No worries, you can stop, Stephen. I got this one. Maybe, maybe John is asking you to consider giving more of your money to those in need. Maybe that's the the abundance of worldly goods that God has blessed you with. But what about the other ways that people in our world are in need? Would you be willing to not just give someone on a corner some money, but to give up 20 minutes to sit and talk with them, hear their story, knowing that it's possible no one has listened to them in the past week? Would you be willing to give up some of your social capital in order to welcome in someone to your friend group who is lonely, knowing that people might ask you, what are you doing? Why have you brought this person in? Would you be willing to forgive someone, to eat that relational strength that you have by forgiving their sin and not bringing it up again, not holding it over them, not making them owe you anymore, but to take that upon yourself? Would you be willing to sacrifice a Saturday afternoon not watching football in order to help your elderly neighbor fix some stuff up around their house or in their yard? Why, and I know what you just thought. I don't know what they need to do around their house. Would you be willing to sacrifice your comfort by engaging in an awkward conversation by asking your elderly neighbor what they need help with? Would you be willing to listen to someone across the aisle, whatever aisle that is for you, just to listen, to learn about them, to learn about where they come from and what they're doing, not so that you can respond, not so that you can shoot them down, not so that you can write a Facebook post talking about how ridiculous they are, but just to listen, just to learn. That's the kind of giving and sacrifice that John is talking about here. That's the way that people in our world are in need. Relationally, emotionally, they need connection, they need friendship. They need engagement. They need service. And if you're like me, you hear that list and you think, oh, that is actually harder than writing a check. That is actually harder than than just dying for someone who might die, right? I'd rather do that. How could I ever come to a place where I could sacrifice these things? Those are the questions that we ask. Those are the questions that John knew we would ask, that his audience would ask. And so he says, this is not about self-righteousness, this is, but you are righteous, right? This is the, the line of thought that he's developing. The children of God are selfless, not selfish, and they're not self-righteous, but they are righteous. See, John knew 
that most humans, the typical reaction to a challenge like this comes out of our own deeds. Whether it is being gung-ho, yes, God calls us to serve and love others. God calls us to, to focus on others rather than ourselves. All I need to do is figure out how I can go love more people. Where can I serve this week? Who can I give to? When is that person going to be on the corner that I see all the time? I want to go engage with them. Let's do it. It's all about me. Or the opposite is true. I could never do this. It's, it's not possible. I'm not, I'm not willing to do it. I don't feel compelled to do it. I don't have enough stuff to give away anything. Right? John says, no, this is not about you. Verse seven, 16, excuse me. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, John is, is an incredible linguist here. Um, and he presents the entire gospel message in seven words. He laid down his life for us. He, Jesus, who is God, became man. And he lived the perfect life, obeying all of the rules and loving others perfectly in a way that you and I never could. But he laid that life down by dying the death that you and I as sinners deserved to die. Why? For us. In order to set us free from the punishment that our sins deserve and to guarantee our spot at the family table. This is the gospel. He just wrote this. John wrote this in seven words. And if you're like me, when you hear that, you hear comparison language. You want to know what sacrificing yourself for others looks like? What loving others looks like? Look at Jesus. He did it this way. You should do it this way too. That's how I was taught this verse growing up. Maybe you grew up in the church, maybe you didn't. Maybe you hear this and you're comparing yourself anyway. It does mean that, by the way. He is saying, look at Jesus and how he sacrificed himself. That's sacrifice. But more than that, John is saying, how do we know love, right? Not cognitively know, but how do we engage with it? How do we walk in it? How do we experience it and have others experience it? How do we know love We know love because Jesus loved us. We walk in love because Jesus loved us. How am I ever able to love someone and sacrifice for someone the way John wants me to? Because you have been sacrificed for. You can give your life away because you have been given unlimited life. Up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, A, B, select, start. Do you know what that is? I hear some chuckles. Some people know what that is. That is the cheat code for the original Nintendo game, Contra. It was a first-person shooter. It wasn't first-person because they didn't have that back then, but it was the the scrolling shooter game where if you put that in before the game started, you had unlimited lives. I was never very good at playing video games, but my older brother always was. So when we played Contra, I would always let him be first player, and I would always kind of hang back on the screen, just kind of letting him engage with the bad guys because I didn't want to die. But when that, that cheat code was put in, and I got unlimited lives, oh boy, I could do whatever I wanted, right? This is, this is kind of the attitude that John is, is giving us here. He's saying uh, engaging others this way, sacrificing for others this way, it doesn't feel as risky or scary or intimidating to give that stuff away if you've known, if you know you've been given an unlimited supply of it. John is saying here what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, through his divine power he has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Jesus has given it all to you by giving himself up. He gave up his glory, his majesty, 
his security, his relationship with the Father. And he gives it all to you. That security, that glory, that relationship with the Father. How does he do that? He was murdered. He was butchered for you. He gives you these things in order to fill you up, right? And you have unlimited life. We have, been, we have become the object of God's glory. He has given it to us. And our tendency here is to believe that John is calling us just to work harder, to do more, to love more. But John says in the same breath as calling us to love others that the work has already been done. God doesn't ask you to manufacture a new heart for loving others. He gives you his heart, which is always loving others. God doesn't ask you to figure out a way to be good enough towards others. God fills you with his own goodness, right? This isn't about your works. It's not about you being, making yourself righteous enough, but that God has made you righteous. Back to Albert. At some point, as I was listening uh, to this guy share his story with me, I realized giving him money can't be an excuse for me. I know that there's a gas station, a kangaroo gas station, down on the corner that is open 24 hours, and I can walk with him to go buy him some food and some water. And that's what we did. We walked down to this gas station. I don't remember what I bought him. I know I got him a couple bottles of water. But we walked out, and he was so thankful and so grateful. And here's how I know that this wasn't me just being a good person. Because timid, quiet, college-age Stephen never would have said what I said next. But the spirit that God put in me made me say, can I pray for you? And he said, that would be awesome. And I did. That was not me. That was God making me like himself. We went our separate ways. I went home. I guess I got some sleep. I'm not sure. But the next day as I drove around, I went looking for Albert. I figured he probably stayed around the same spot. Didn't see him. For the rest of the week, I kept looking. And I didn't see him. I've never seen Albert again. And you know how I feel? I should have said, I work at Jimmy John's down the road. Come to Jimmy John's when you're hungry and I'll give you some food. I should have shared the gospel with him. I should have invited him to come to church with me. I should have said this. I should have said that. That stuck with me forever, what I should have said and what I should have done. And even as I was writing this sermon, I'm thinking about the fact that there are so many people who live on the street here in San Jose who I see day in and day out. Why don't I engage with them the way I did with Albert? What has gone wrong with me that I choose to ignore them when I had this great interaction with this guy all these years ago? Why don't I love him? This is what happens in our hearts. John knew it. That's why we come to this last part of his message, which is incredibly important. The children of God, they're selfless, not selfish. They're not self-righteous, but they are righteous. And they are covered, not condemned. They're covered, but not condemned. We need this reminder as much as John's audience needed this reminder. Following Jesus, it's not about getting hitched to the wagon of loving your neighbor and feeling the crack of his whip. Following Jesus isn't about him driving you out of yourself and making you love people more and making you be good and making you be different. It's about knowing that you are in God 
right? This message that John is delivering here is assurance and encouragement that if you see yourself loving someone else, that you are a child of God because that's God in you. That's God in you. He says this in in verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts. This being all the stuff that he has just said about sacrificing ourselves. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. It's fair to say that your voice is the loudest voice in your life. The way that you think about yourself and talk about yourself to yourself, that shapes so much of who you are and how you live. And most of you, I know, would agree that we are incredibly critical of ourselves, of how we behave and how we act, right? John doesn't use the term critical. He uses the term condemn, condemnation, right? It's, it's a legal term. It's very legal to blame, to accuse, to pass judgment, right? Now, here's where the gospel differs from all other religions and the self-help spiritualities that are out there. They would say, that's so good. It's so good to know where you failed. See that as an opportunity to set a goal and to grow, but you and I both know that life doesn't work that way, right? When we get into this cycle of, of fault finding, of condemnation, right? The reality is we begin to see the sheer repetition of how often we fail or the magnitude of those failures and we begin to feel weighed down. What we should have said or shouldn't have said, how we should have spent our time or shouldn't have spent our time, what we should have given away or what we should have kept, we just continue to condemn ourselves over and over and over again and it makes us feel unworthy and unapproachable and unlovable. And the gospel, as John declares it, is this. If you're telling yourself that you are unworthy and unapproachable and unlovable, then you're gonna think God thinks that of you too. And when you think about engaging with the holy God with your record, you're going to think that there's no way God wants to be around me. There's no way that God would want to engage with me. He is going to cast me out or cut me off. He's going to butcher me in some way. That's not true. The gospel says that is not true. God is not just waiting to butcher you, but God has allowed himself to be butchered for you. Jesus' death on the cross means that when we come to God, we're not condemned anymore. We're not condemned, but instead we're covered, covered with the blood of Jesus. John says, God knows you far better than your own heart does. God knows you far better than your own heart does, which means that Jesus' words in Matthew 11 are the Father's words to his children. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When your heart begins to condemn you, begins to point out how you failed, how you haven't loved your neighbor, how you haven't sacrificed for your spouse, how you haven't given of the amazing things that you have, John says, speak the gospel to your heart. Tell your heart what is true. Yes, I messed up in that way, but I'm covered because Jesus died for that. Those sins that I I see that keep coming up before my face, they're not wrong, but God has taken them away from me. He has died for me, and when he rose again, he has given me everything that I need. He has filled me up with everlasting life, which means the next time there's an opportunity to give some of my time, I can know 
I've been given unlimited time because of Jesus' death. The next time I, I might need to give some of my relational energy, I can know I've been given unlimited relationship with God. I can give some of this away. The next time I'm asked to give in some way, to sacrifice in some way, I can know. Not only do I know what sacrifice looks like, but I've been sacrificed for. I've been filled up and I can do this, knowing that when you fail, you go back into this gospel rhythm. Yep, I failed, but Jesus has taken it from me and he's given me the ability to love and sacrifice. Yep, I failed again, but Jesus has taken it from me and he's given me the ability to love and sacrifice. That's what John is getting at here. Don't be condemned by how you fail. Be covered in the blood of Jesus. Walk forward sacrificially to love other people. And when you fail, come back to the blood of Jesus. Last year, we did a leadership training uh, for anybody who wanted to come. The goal was to train up some elders, which we installed earlier this year and ordained. Uh, but we had 20 to 25 people uh, each week that we met. We met every other week. There were about 20 to 25 folks there. And Bob had us start each week by uh, someone sharing about a person or people in their lives that they were engaged with, that they were playing, uh, praying for, excuse me, uh, that they wanted to see know God's love for them. And I was always impressed and encouraged to see how many of the leaders of our church had folks ready to talk about. But every week that he asked that, I felt differently. And I'm actually willing to bet that most of the people in that room felt the same way. Who, who in my life am, is there? Who am I caring for? Who should I be talking about? I don't know. I felt a little panicked. And so instead of ending with a great illustration about something, I wanted to end with a challenge today. I want to challenge you to, to maybe right now, maybe when you get home, I want you to write two people's names down, just two. People that are in your life, maybe you work with them, maybe they're at your school, maybe you see them consistently in the carpool line, maybe it's someone in your house that you want to sacrifice in love, sacrifice for in love. What does that look like? I want to I encourage you to start by praying for them every morning. Just pray for them. I want to encourage you to consider taking them out for a meal or for a coffee and just asking them about themselves. And then don't worry what happens to the relationship. Don't feel like something has to come out of it. Don't feel like you got to have some deep, great conversation, but just be there. Pray for them, engage with them, and help them know that you're here, that you're a human too. It's really easy on the surface, but what happens is you're going to find, and I'm going to find, that maybe after a week, that kind of pursuit and that sacrifice is going to wear off. And that's when we're going to need each other to remind us, remind each other, Jesus has taken that. He's died for it, and he gives you to fill you up whatever you need to love and sacrifice for others. Let's pray. God, this is a lot to take in. It's a lot to think about and a lot to think through. And to be honest, it's really easy to just walk out of here and forget. I confess that that's often how Sundays feel. Like what we did here was great. What you said to us was good. But now it's back to real life. And I pray that this would change us. That the reality of what you did for us on the cross would change us. That hearing the words you have given us, all that we need for life and godliness would make us bolder would help diminish the risk and the fear that we have when it comes to uh, engaging with other people and that would lead us to sacrifice. Sacrifice our 
ourselves, our time, our expectations, our comfort, just as you gave all that up for us. Help us to return to the cross over and over again, knowing we're never gonna get this perfect, but Jesus was perfect for us. We thank you for him, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.